Welcome. Glad you guys are here this morning. Um, it's great to see you. Great to be with you and opening the Bible up with you. Uh, if it's one of your first times, welcome. Uh, glad that you're here. Uh, kind of to catch everyone up on what we're uh, up to uh, this morning. Um, two weeks ago, we started uh, a series uh, called Can He Be Trusted? Uh, and in this series, what we have been doing is we're actually going through and looking at the life of Jesus uh, in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and specifically, uh, for this 10 weeks, we're just looking at Mark chapters 4 to 8. And uh, in that, we're, we're asking kind of this overarching question of, can he be trusted? And, and I know it's why some of you, uh, precisely, this kind of a question is, is why you're here with us. You, you either have been having, uh, you either grew up without having a lot of spiritual conversations in your home, and you're, you're learning more about Jesus, and so you're curious, can he be trusted? Or you were, you were raised maybe attending a local church, and something in your life has gotten you to the point where you're asking this question of, can Jesus actually be trusted in everyday life? And I'm thankful that you're here. Uh, others of you, you, you might be a Christian. You say, well, of course he can. He can be trusted. Great, check, let's move on. Uh, but, but one thing that we have talked about that we're talking about in this series is that we're going beyond mere just acknowledgement of the fact, yes, he can be trusted, and we're going much deeper than that into our hearts and asking, can he really be trusted? And so one of the questions, the kind of diagnostic questions uh, that we have been asking ourselves is this, do we find ourselves actively trusting Jesus as you walk through life, right? So, so in everyday, actual, practical life things, right? When everything goes terribly wrong and when there is no money in the bank, when the diagnosis for yourself or someone that you love is cancer, when dementia sets in, when death halts all of your plans, when it seems like there's injustice all around you, in dark seasons and deep sadness and in loss and in confusion, can Jesus be trusted then? And that is the question of the book of Mark. Mark is going after our hearts. He wants us to see Jesus. He wants to look at how Jesus walked. He wants us to see what Jesus said, see the interactions that he had with people, the miracles that Jesus performed. And Mark is gonna keep asking us through this book, who is this man? Can he be trusted? And Mark doesn't answer the question. He just has people ask this question and then he moves on to the next uh, story. And, and, but constantly it comes up, who is this man? Who do you think that he is? Look at what he says, look at what he does. Can he be trusted? And, and we're gonna see that again for ourselves today. For those of you who have read it in, uh, in the verses, uh, you know Jesus himself asks this question. Basically, can I be trusted? And encourages someone to trust him. So if you have a Bible, you can open up with us uh, to Mark uh, chapter five or big, bold number five, and then verses or smaller numbers, 21 to 43. That's where we're gonna be kind of camping out this morning. Um, and this morning, typically we read through the whole text and then go back and then work through it. This morning, we're, we're just gonna read and then stop and talk, read, stop and talk, read, stop and talk. So that way you know what we're up to. So let's pray and then we're gonna walk into uh, verse 21 together. So Father, we, we ask that during this time as we gather together under your word that you would be with us in a really special way as, as your people. We know that your word guides us. Your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Your word revives us as your spirit takes your word and applies it into our lives. And so we pray as we are walking in that you would give us eyes that can see and ears that can hear and a mind that can comprehend and a heart that is soft. Oh, we pray that that would be true of us today by your spirit at work in us. And we ask that in Jesus' great name, amen. Amen, all right, so let's dive into uh, verse uh, 21 uh, together uh, and let's read what it says. Hi, welcome, you guys go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, so verse 21, this is how uh, Mark begins this section. It says, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. He was beside the sea. Now, if you remember from last week, uh, the scriptures just before this, or you can even look right above you uh, in, in verse 20, you will see that Jesus got in the boat to take off. And so verse 21 picks up right there. It's not like a couple of days later. It's just immediately 
This is then what happened. So verse 21 picks up, let us know what happened. He crosses again on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And what happened when he got there? A great crowd gathered all around him. Now, as we remember through uh, reading in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus taught and preached like nobody else. When he opened up the Jewish scriptures, uh, what we as Christians call the Old Testament, as he opened that up and began explaining it, people were like, man, this guy has authority like nobody I've ever heard. They listen to how Jesus preaches and teaches, and they're like, I want to be around Jesus. And so when Jesus taught, people would show up. Uh, we know as well Jesus' main ministry in the Gospel of Mark is he's going, Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 38, tells us that he, he desires to go from town to town preaching, preaching that the kingdom of God is here, so calling people to repent and to believe. And as he did so, as he has teaching like nobody else, he also has miracles like nobody else. He does the things that nobody else can do. Uh, we see Jesus heal entire cities of infirmities. He walks in, people are sick, he leaves the whole city, they're all fine. Like, it's wild. He, uh, he casts out demons. He heals people from leprosy, debilitating fevers, and even those who are paralyzed. Hi, Anna Clara. Uh, he also, um, in this, what we see is these aren't just psychosis healings, right? Like, you go to a healing service and someone that they have, they have like, maybe something wrong with them and they kind of get prayed over and then it kind of goes away and it's a miracle. And then a couple hours later, it's back, right? This is not this, this is people that do not have fingers, that fingers grow back. People that have uh, leprosy, that their noses have fallen off, are back. People that have other deformities are healed. People that they paralyze and cannot walk, they can now walk again for forever. Like, this is unlike anything that we've ever seen or heard. He has words like nobody else, and he has works like nobody else. And everywhere that Jesus went, a crowd came. And no, duh. Right? Like if somebody today were to land in New York City or LA or Dallas or wherever there's a, a massive thing in North America of COVID and they could just walk in and touch people and then it's just gone, if they showed up into your city, what would the reaction be like? It would be nuts. It would be absolutely insane. And so when Jesus landed in a place, this is sort of the effect that happened. Great crowds would develop. And Mark tells us this is exactly what happened. And word got out, Jesus had arrived. And then in verse 22, we see uh, that, uh, verse 22, then came out uh, one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. Now, we'll stop there. Up until this point, it should be noted, Jesus didn't have the greatest relationship with the religious elite of his day. They did not like him. Uh, in Mark 2, we see Jesus doesn't act like them. For example, he claims to have the authority given by God to forgive people of their sins which they say is blasphemy. You are claiming to be God and to be able to forgive sins. And it is blasphemy unless it's true. And so he, he says he has the ability to forgive people of their sins, which they don't like. He also claims he has the authority given by God uh, to not fast like the other religious leaders, but rather he has feasts and he dines with known sinners. People that the religious elite wouldn't go anywhere near. Jesus loves them and draws close to them and eats with them. He also doesn't follow the rules created by the religious leaders, things like Sabbath days. The Jewish Sabbath is a Saturday and God had given them a bunch of laws for that day, but they had built onto those laws and Jesus obeyed God's laws, but not the laws that man had made and they hated him for it. In fact, in Mark chapter three, Jesus had healed a man that had a withered hand on the Sabbath. And from that moment on, the religious elite began to plot how they might kill him. You can see that in Mark chapter three, verse six. They're trying to kill Jesus because he heals a guy who has a withered hand. They, they did not like Jesus. So it's surprising to see Jairus enter into the scene and come up to Jesus. He should hate Jesus along with all the other religious leaders. So what would bring him here? That's where we get the rest of the picture. So he came, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well. And that's where we see it. He was coming on behalf of his little girl. That's where this begins to make sense. I mean, he has either seen, but definitely heard about how Jesus can heal. He might've even, even been there in Capernaum on the day when Jesus healed the man with the withered hand. We don't know, maybe, 
But, but we do know that this man at the end of his rope, when his daughter is literally knocking on death's door and is about to die, he has no other option in mind. He doesn't know where he can go. There's one solution and it's Jesus. And he waits and waits and Jesus finally arrives on the shore and he rushes and he finds him and he falls down. And notice he doesn't come pridefully. He comes humbly, kneeling on the ground before him, fervently imploring him in the same way that we would. Right, like if your daughter was dying, kids were dying, if your family or friends were dying, how would you implore Jesus earnestly? Please, you have to come. And, and I want to point out the reason Jairus come is not because he had become intellectually convinced by Jesus's teachings that he was truly who he said he was, right? Jairus doesn't look at this and say, well, intellectually, I, I agree with everything that you, you're teaching. No, we have no reason to believe at this point that Jairus believes anything of Jesus's teaching. What we do see is that he cannot deny his works, though. He cannot deny them. And at the point of death, out of sincere and earnest need, he comes. And he also knows that Jesus is kind and gracious. That Jesus is kind and gracious. And so he thought just maybe he can be trusted. So he comes falling at his feet, a, a posture of total submission and says, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well. And the next words are so beautiful. And he went with him. Those are beautiful words. And there would have been no more beautiful words that Jairus could ever hear in his life other than those. And every parent would tell you that nothing in here would have also given you greater confidence. Right? You've tried everything. Your, your kid is still dying. And yet you come to this man who's been able to do these things. And he says, okay, I'll come. Immediately, you have great confidence. Great Let's go, right? You're excited. Everyone, let's, let's head out. I mean, having Jesus who has cleansed lepers and healed paralytics and healed hundreds or thousands of people of all kinds of infirmities say that he will come. I mean, hope would have just sprung up in his, in his heart. And as he says that, a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. They also wanna come and see this great miracle that Jesus is going to do. But inside of this great crowd, we're gonna meet somebody else who needs desperate help. And Mark just interrupts the story about Jairus and his daughter with the story of this other woman. And, and it happens kind of abruptly. We see in verse 24 to 26, it says, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and she was no better, but rather grew worse. And Mark goes into great detail right here, just letting us know in a short way how terrible the plight is of this woman. A woman who has suffered, spent all of her money trying to be healed 12 years and nothing has borne fruit. Not only that, she has gotten worse. She is no better off than when she began. Physicians who promised her relief could not actually provide it. And she had spent all of her money. So now, destitute and yet still bleeding, her situation is terrible. Not only this, but we also must remember that she is underneath the law that God gave to his people, a law that was meant to demonstrate to Israel and to the nations of how holy and perfect and righteous God is by how his people lived their lives. And according to Leviticus chapter 15, verses 25 to 31, uh, this, is, this is what we read there. If a woman has a discharge... All the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until that evening. But... If she is cleansed of her discharge, she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. And on the eighth day, she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and bring them to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall use one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for her unclean discharge. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. 
So seeing this law, it only compounds the situation. It makes it worse. It makes it bigger. For not only do we see financial plight, not only do we, do we see that she's growing worse day by day, but we also see a couple of things. Firstly, we see that she is not allowed to gather with the people of God and to worship. For 12 years, she has not been able to gather with the people of God and worship. Lest she, in her uncleanness, would enter the temple itself and defile it. And everything she touches becomes unclean. And so, remember at this time, there's no podcasts. There's no Bible that she can have that she can take home and read. There's no community she can be a part of that's helping her, encouraging her to grow. Like She's outside of the presence and worship of God and outside of the community of God's people. We also see that anything that she sits on immediately becomes unclean. How do you invite this person over to your house? How do you have fellowship, table fellowship, eating with them? How do you do this? Which means that having her over isn't even possible. Not only that, but whoever touches something that she has sat on also becomes unclean. You guys, this woman spent her days like a leper outside of the context of community, unable, unclean. She is unable to be part of normal society. She's forced out of it because of all of this. And guys, she has done nothing wrong to deserve it. She just found herself that way one day. This is a terrible situation, but even if she did somehow experience a miracle, she would remain unclean for seven days after this and then have to go into the temple to be declared clean. And she would have to bring an offering. And this is where we see the role of the priest. The role of the priest was to be able to use these sacrifices to make atonement, that her and God may be at one again, that she may be cleansed from her sin and for her, from her unclean, uncleanliness so that she would be able to once again enter into the temple so that she would be able to come over to your house and eat, so that you'd be able to hug her. So again, these laws are not mean to, meant to be mean or mean-spirited. I mean, we understand what it's like when someone who has COVID and they have to quarantine themselves, right? Stay at home, right? In the same way, this is this uncleanness could, could, have, it could have captured the, the entire camp, all of God's people. So we understand that. Is it terrible and horrible and necessary? Yes but rather the safe and responsible thing to do to stop the spread. And God's laws are meant to protect his people, but they are also designed for more than that. They are meant to demonstrate to us the holiness of God, that God is not like us. He cannot be defiled by our uncleanness, which also points to the fact that all of us are those who are unclean that need to be cleansed in order for us to have at one atonement with God. In this woman, in verse 27, we hear that she heard the report about Jesus. I don't know who's telling her these reports, but she she heard the reports about Jesus and she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And, And we might wonder, I don't know if you wondered this as you were looking at this and studying this this week, but I did. Why did this woman not just approach Jesus and ask for healing? Like, Why did she sneak up behind and like touch the bottom of his garment as he's walking? Why not just come up to Jesus? Jesus, I have a problem. I mean, if she had heard about him and the authority and the power, why? No one has ever snuck up behind Jesus, touched him and been healed. This was not a thing. This is the only time this happens in the entire Bible, you guys. This is is not a thing in Jesus's ministry. People just walking up and just touching him. You know, like, this is not a thing. Where did she hear? She heard reports of how people have been shown gracious and mercy. Why, 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 why do this? And, and this story is actually told by Luke and Matthew and Mark. In Luke's account, he tells us that this woman told everyone why she did it, which is good news, except for the fact that Luke does not tell us why. He just says that she told us, everyone that was there, why? But we don't know. Matthew also doesn't tell us. Mark also doesn't tell us. So we don't, we don't know why she did this. We have no idea. We may never know the reason, but if I were to guess, you can feel free to disagree with me. That's fine. But I, I tend to think that her issue, as private as it was, 
this, this bleeding and this very private issue of her life in all modesty, she, she didn't want to come in front of everyone and say, oh, by the way, I've been, I've been bleeding for 12 years, everyone. Like, immediately she would have been outcast. Not only that, she's not allowed to be this close to people. She's in a throng of people moving through them, making all of them unclean as she touches all of them, right? This would be like the person with COVID bumping in and all around everyone and then be like, by the way, everyone, I have COVID. And you're like, why are you here, right? So, so this woman, for some reason, we don't know what, I, I think maybe it's, she doesn't, she doesn't want anyone to know about her story. Also, she, she's a little embarrassed. Maybe she's a little shamed. Maybe, I don't know, but she comes She touches the fringe of his garment. She reaches out in faith, believing upon Jesus. And then we read this in verse 29. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And I love this. This is a miracle. And it's one that she felt immediately. Get this. She didn't have to like go somewhere, like off by herself somewhere and check to make sure that the bleeding stopped. Just immediately, somehow, she just knew, I am better This is wild. Everything was different simply by touching Jesus. And I don't know if you can imagine the euphoria, the happiness, the joy, the contentment, the peace. Finally, 12 years of suffering, 12 years of bleeding, 12 years of being separated from God and community, 12 years in a moment gone, healed simply by touching Jesus. And in verse 30, Mark immediately lets us know that Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, not done out of him, that would be very weird English, uh, had gone out of him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And this is, I think, the beauty of this. She immediately felt the miracle, right? She didn't have to go somewhere and check. Immediately in her body, she knew, I'm better And immediately, Jesus also knew, I just healed someone. Immediately, he knows. And the same as she immediately knows. And I love the response of the disciples. Jesus says, who touched my garments? And the disciples, it's kind of comical. They say, I don't know. You see the crowd pressing around you, yet you see who touched me. I don't know, Jesus, everyone. That guy, that girl, everyone touched you. It's kind of a... This is one of those moments where like, if you were making all this up, you'd say the disciples would say something really holy and pious, like, oh Lord, I don't know, possibly those people, right? Like, but no, they're like, I don't know. Uh, and I love this because it's so just like what you would do, right? You're in the store, someone says, hey, did you pick this up? Man, I don't know, right? Like, and, and this is their kind of response in that. And yet you see immediately they, <clears throat> they said to him, uh, sorry, I don't have this in there. Uh, you see the crowd pressing around you, you see who touched me. And he looked around to see who had done it. And there's two things I want us to note about Jesus from these verses. Uh, First one is Jesus is not like a battery that needs to be recharged or that can be depleted, right? Like it's not as if Jesus only has like 100% battery and this miracle brought it down to like 98% and he's like, oh, I just felt the power out of me, right? Like this is not some some weird like battery chargement system. Uh, He doesn't have a a finite amount of healing power and once it's gone, it just kind of needs to be recharged, Right, like, like Luke Skywalker needing to use some Jedi mind trick or, or going away by himself to some weird planet in order to have some alone time and recharge, right? Or Superman having a really big battle and he's dead, but then the sun comes out, recharges him and he's fine, right? Like this is not the picture that we have of, of Jesus ever. Uh, Jesus isn't like that. So, so don't read these verses and think of the power of going out of him, but rather <clears throat> see that he's looking around seeing, who did I just heal? Right, in the same way she knew internally, I'm better. Jesus also knew immediately, I've healed someone. So he turns around and he cares about them. This isn't Jesus like an angry parent looking around like, who made the mess in the kitchen? Right, like that, that's not this kind of a look. This, this is Jesus tenderly saying, who touched me? He wants to know who has had this miracle. He cares about them. Which brings us to our second point, this, that Jesus is fully God, but also we must remember that he is also fully man. When Jesus put on flesh and he stepped into time, Jesus lost none of his divine attributes. Jesus did not lose any of it, but rather he added to himself that which he was not, humanity, 
He added that onto his divinity and stepped into time. Kind of like how you put on clothes today and stepped out into the world. You, you didn't leave your left toe at home, right? You, you, you're all of yourself clothes here. In the same way Jesus came, fully God, laying humanity alongside of his divinity, not losing any of that which he was, but adding to himself that which he was not. And Jesus chooses throughout his life, we see it all the way throughout the gospels, to live most of his days not tapping into his divine knowledge, power, and attributes, but choosing to walk empowered by the Spirit, following the plans and purposes of God the Father. But every now and then, we see Jesus tapping into those as he forgives sin, as he raises like Lazarus from the dead, as he, as he does various different things. We see him as God, fully God doing things, but most of the time he chooses not to do so. Right, so, so we read of Jesus growing in wisdom and in stature the same way that we grow up. Right, Jesus had to learn how to read. Jesus had to learn how to write. He had to learn how to speak. We know that Jesus spoke at least three languages, but we know he had to learn those. Right, like learning languages is hard. It is laborious. We all know that uh, as, as a lot of immigrants and people also that have learned other languages. It's difficult to learn language Jesus also walked through and experienced that. Now, also, he didn't know English, French, or Portuguese. I know that's hard to imagine. Uh, he could have, I guess, if he wanted to tap into that, but, but he didn't, right? He, he, he learned just as, as we do. And he lived as the God-man, our suffering servant. And so I say all that because here, Jesus genuinely does not know who touched him. He does not know. He, who touched, he doesn't know. It's not like me and my kids, right? Like when we play hide and go seek, I always know where they are. Every single time, you guys, every, that never failed. One time, Owen scared me. Uh, other than that, I always know they're under the bed, they're here, right? I walk up, oh, I don't know where they are. Yeah, I do, right? This is not Jesus. Oh, I don't know who touched me. No, he, he did not know, genuinely. He isn't pretending. And so he looks around, who touched me? Just like the woman who felt the miracle. So he asks, who touched me? But we see um, the woman, um, oh, my computer's gonna die. Uh, will you find the charger for me? Like quickly? I am, it is, I didn't realize that. It is at 3%, that's gonna be terrible. <laughs> no, that's his. Um, so yeah, so verse 33, thanks, Samantha. Verse 33 says, but the woman, knowing what happened to her, came in fear and trembling and falls down before him and tells him the whole truth. And, and though you may disagree with me that maybe this woman, the whole reason why is of her private suffering is she didn't want to talk about her bleeding, whatever you think the reason is of why she was shy, why she didn't just come around and, and talk to Jesus, whatever the reason you think that that is, we do clearly see after being healed, she did not care anymore. Whatever reason made her not come up and, and tell everyone, now what we see happens is that she falls down before him and told the whole truth, not just to Jesus, but to everyone there. This is what happened to me, which is amazing to me. She no longer feared man, but she feared God more. And she was transformed into being this bold woman who spoke clearly and loudly to everyone what God had done with her all because of the authority of Jesus. She found he could be trusted even with her most private of issues. And at the end of her sharing, Jesus responds, uh, daughter, thank you, Samantha, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And I just love this. He looks at her and calls her daughter. Now, now this is the first time this word is used in the gospel of Mark. By Jesus talking about someone, calling him daughter. And, and it's a word that, that can mean daughter or daughter of God, or acceptable to God, rejoicing in God's peculiar care and protection. I don't know about you, of those three, that's the one I probably love the most, especially in context, thinking about what's happening with this woman. Rejoicing in God's peculiar care and protection. If you think about how Jesus not only cared for her, but is also protecting her and providing for her in and through this. And, and I just love this scene 
this woman coming up behind Jesus, reaching out by faith and feeling relief and joy and comfort, but then Jesus turning and, and saying, who touched me? And then her feeling convicted and fearful, and then she comes clean, and then she experiences graciousness and kindness and mercy and gentleness. And, and Jesus gives her the amazing opportunity to share her story with everyone while also giving Jesus the opportunity to pronounce her as clean. And don't miss that. Remember in Leviticus, when someone was cleansed from their bleeding, what did they have to do? They had to wait seven days. On the eighth day, go where? The temple. Why? To present offerings, to be one to be uh, burnt, one to be a sin offering, and to have the priest declare them as clean. They were to bring those animals by faith, trusting in the promises of God. But here, what do we see? We don't see that. Here we see this woman who was unclean touching Jesus. And instead of him becoming unclean, she becomes clean immediately, immediately. And he, the true and better physician, was able to do that which no other physician had been able to do for her. She had spent all of that money. What had she gotten from it? Nothing. She grew worse. But here, he, the true and better physician, was able to do which no other doctor had been able to do. And what did she pay for it? Nothing. She brought no money to Jesus. The price was faith. And Jesus tells her that her faith has made her well. Then Jesus, as the true and better priest, the one who would one day make atonement for all of our sins by standing condemned on the cross for us, he looks graciously and pronounces her as clean as the great high priest, telling her to go in peace and be healed of her disease. She does not need to wait seven days. She does not need to bring sacrifices. Jesus brings it all and just says, Daughter, you are healed, go. And into this beautiful, miraculous moment with this woman now being called daughter and cleansed and healed and brought back into the temple and in right communion with God and with other people. This is a crazy situation. You can imagine all the people just glorifying God in this situation. We read, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble this teacher any further? See, while one daughter has been made alive, another one is dead. Jairus' worst fear has come true. And those from his house, they say, there's no point. What can you do? There's no hope now. But, which is a great word, overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. See, Jesus has just proved himself as a great physician. Through the ministry, he has healed hundreds, thousands of people, but this little girl is now dead. A physician is not what she needs. A physician will do no good now. And so thinking about this situation, I'm wondering, have you ever been in a situation like that? Maybe not with your daughter, but, but in a different kind of a situation with that where, where it seems like there is no hope. Wondering if God can be trusted when everything seems bleak and there's no option. I was reading this this past week in R.C. Sproul, a pastor. He was a, he was a pastor from the States. This is what he writes about this. He says, we can reach that point, the point where we say to ourselves, why should I trouble God anymore? Everything I feared would happen has happened. Why should I bother praying now? My husband died. My child died. I'm dying. Why trouble God now? And at such times, we must remember that we should never stop troubling the Lord because there's never any trouble for him to hear us cry and to wipe away our tears. Oh, that is good. Can he be trusted? And that's the question. That's the question that's just swirling around inside of Jairus's mind right now. Can he be trusted? I mean, before his very eyes, he had seen the power and the authority of Jesus. This woman who was unclean is now clean, was sick and is now well. This is proof Jesus can heal. She is a physical demonstration, a model and an encouragement. And it's, it's as if Jesus looks at Jairus, this, this man who has great position, great religious position, great money, great all these things in his life. He looks at her and says, will you... Jairus, will you model the faith of this unnamed woman who has no money and was destitute yet came by faith? I love this story because who do you think should have trusted in God in the midst of this situation? Jairus, the man who oversaw the synagogue, 
a man who's very religious, who should probably not have believed this, this unnamed woman with no money. And yet Mark reverses this. And he tells Jairus, have faith like this woman. Have faith like her. Oh, and this is beautiful. Can Jesus be trusted? And it's interesting. This is the very first time Jesus tells someone in the Gospel of Mark to not be afraid. Don't fear, only believe. We've seen fear a couple of times in the last few weeks, uh, which is a brand new motif in the book of Mark. There's been fear in the disciples. There's been fear in the crowd, fear in this bleeding woman. But now Jesus looks at Jairus, encourages him to not fear. Don't let this frighten you. And remember, why had this man come in the first place? He had heard of what Jesus was able to do. He had faith to seek him out and to come. That took enormous faith. And since then, he has seen a mighty miracle. And Jesus is calling to him to exhibit that faith once again. Don't fear, only believe. And then verse 37 lets us know that they did keep going, which I love that. And they kept going, which means what did Jairus do? Okay. He did. Let's keep going. But we also see that Jesus allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James which is wild, the crowd. Remember, there's a crowd thronging around him, a great crowd. Jesus says, you're not allowed to come. And they say, okay. When have you ever seen a huge crowd just say, okay, we'll just go home, bye. Right, like the whole reason they're here is they wanna see this daughter healed. He says, no, you have to go. And they just do. Not only that, I feel bad for the other disciples. There's nine other disciples. They don't get to come with Jesus. Right? He's like, now you nine boys, you just stay here. You three guys, come with me. I would have hated to have been that other, like, what of the other nine, man? Imagine you're one of them. You're like, I want to come. You can't. Okay. Right? So you just, you have to stay behind. And then verse 38 says, they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. This woman, this little girl is dead. When they had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Now, again, in the words of of R.C. Sproul, when Jesus says this little girl is only sleeping, he was not saying the little girl was comatose, right? Like she had like some kind of melatonin gummy and just wouldn't wake up. She was just tired. Now, these these people are professional mourners. They, They knew when someone was dead, like he, he was using sleeping as a euphemism for death, which is really common, euphemism in scriptures, but the professional mourners had, had been at many deathbeds. They knew death when they saw it, and they had no doubt that they had seen its heavy hand on Jairus' daughter. Therefore, they ridiculed him. They mocked him. They made fun of him. The mourners became mockers, and they laughed at Jesus. But, verse 40, He put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Now for the second time, we know from Jewish law that touching touching the dead made someone unclean. Yet again, Jesus does not become unclean. He makes her clean. And it's interesting that Jesus spoke the words, little girl, I say to you, arise, because she was dead. Right, she's not sleeping, but at the command of Jesus, her body was given the ability and the power to do what Jesus commanded. Right, in in the same way that Jesus commanded the man with the withered hand in chapter three, stretch out your hand. What can he not do with his withered hand? He the point is that he cannot stretch it out. Yet at the command of Jesus, that command of Jesus gave him the ability and the power to do what he could not do. Brothers and sisters, he that spoke creation into existence by his very breath, he that stilled the great storm by his command, he that commanded demons and they obeyed, here he speaks life in the body that he knit together in that mother's womb, heard the sound of its creator commanding it, and it responded. The power and the ability to do that which it could not do on its own was given to this body in this moment at the word of Jesus. And immediately her heart began beating and her lungs began filling with air and her eyes opened. And in this, she was completely healed, right? It wasn't that she was just alive but still sick. 
She was alive and not sick. Both things immediately, a double healing, complete healing, miraculous show of Jesus's authority and power. And what we see in verse 42 is that immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement and striking. And we begin to see how these stories are connected. Both of them are about unclean people being healed and made clean by Jesus. Both of them are called daughters. Both were suffering underneath the weight of this broken world where death and sickness reign. Yet Jesus, the son of man, the son of God, has come to set up his kingdom. We also see this woman had been suffering for 12 years and this little girl was 12. We see all these little connections between who they are. All of this to let us know that Jesus can be trusted. And so what are we to do with a story like this then? Why was it given? Many of you heard sermons or Bible studies or lessons on, on this text before? Yes, number of you, yes. But what do we do with it? Well, firstly, it's important to be reminded that we are not Jesus. I, we are not Jesus. We're gonna say that every time we walk through any story of the Bible because you and I are prone to believing that we are Jesus. We are the savior in this situation, but in this, we are not. No matter what Instagram uh, or TBN pastors will tell you, we are not Jesus. Jesus did not come so that we may do everything that he did. He did not come to present us a true and better way that we can follow. He did not come to show us the power that is available to us if we will just believe enough. No, we are not to see this story as a blueprint for how we should live our lives and just go walk around the hospital and anyone who dies, just pray and then just come back to life. This is not the point of this. Brothers and sisters, scriptures are not primarily about us and what we must do. They are about Jesus and what he has done helping us to see that he can be trusted. So then how do we go about applying this into our lives? What benefit is there in our walk with God? Well, there's a couple of them. Uh, firstly, we are to see and to savor Jesus from this text. We are to see what does this tell us about Jesus? We are to see Jesus' authority. We're to see what we see about him from these scriptures, that he is God with us, that he is compassionate and kind, that he's a God who enters into our brokenness. He doesn't see our brokenness and say, no, I don't want any of that. No, he reaches into your, your most secret, dark places and he touches and heals you from those things. He is our better priest. He offers forgiveness and cleansing if we will come and he is ready and willing to forgive you of every sin and every stain in your life. Secondly, in light of that, we see that we have an awful lot in common with these daughters, an awful lot. First, with a little girl in this story. For we see in God's word, Ephesians chapter two, verses one to 10, that we were once dead in our sins and unable to please God on our own. Ephesians 2, one to 10 tells us that we worship the prince of the power of the air, that we were sons and daughters of disobedience, that we're not born into this world spiritually neutral or spiritually good. We are born into this world spiritually as enemies of God, worshiping Satan himself. And to us who were dead by grace, Jesus calls us to life through his spirit, making us alive together with Christ, giving us the faith to believe the good news of Jesus and causing us to be born again. We were in a perilous state, headed towards an eternity of facing the wrath of God. But then Jesus called us by name to come to him and to find life and forgiveness and hope. And without him, there would be none. He came and gave us both the ability and the desire to come to us. When he called us, we who were running away from him, we were given the power and the ability to turn and to come and listen and to obey his commands. We who would not come came, praise be to God. Not only that, but we're also like the woman with the discharge, right? Because of our defilements before God, we once were not able to enter into the holy presence of God. We were unable to love God and others as we ought. We were separated from God and his people because of our many sins. From birth and by nature, we were those who were defiled and needing atonement with God. But then Jesus, but then Jesus came, God the Son himself came and lived a perfect life in our place and suffered and died in our place. He who had no defilement was defiled. He who had no uncleanliness in him was made unclean. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God, he became defiled so that we might be welcomed in. And just like this daughter, just like this daughter, we are promised that our shame and our sin can be wiped clean. 
today if we will come and but reach out in faith. We need not come behind him secretly following after Jesus and trying to touch his, his garments. We see that he's gracious and that he will receive us and that he wants us to come to him by faith. He doesn't tell us to clean ourselves up or to make ourselves better, but rather to come in our uncleanness and he will touch us and he will make us clean. That's the offer of the table for those of you who have yet to put your faith in Jesus. You can be washed clean. You can become a daughter or son of God today. Or like the prodigal son, you can be welcomed back and cleansed. He is ready and willing and gracious and compassionate. He's promised to cleanse you from every stain. And though your garments be as crimson, he will make them as white as snow, which for this woman would have been more truer than you can possibly have tasted and imagined. Her garments, which had been stained crimson because of her uncleanness, were made clean. You and I, brothers and sisters, though we are as crimson, can be made clean. So the question is, will you reach out to him by faith? Can he be trusted to forgive and heal you of your darkest stains? He can. He can. See this woman's life and take courage to believe. But maybe also you're a bit like Jairus. Maybe you're like Jairus in this story. Maybe you're fairly religious but not so sure about the claims of Jesus. Maybe you've heard stories about who he is, which has brought you to this point of examining him. And so we've come, but there are some bumps along the way, and Jesus is looking at us today, tenderly calling us, just like he did to Jairus, and saying, do not fear, only believe. So I don't know who you are or where you're at in life, but but these scenes from the Gospel of Mark are designed graciously by God to point us to Jesus, that we might see that the offer of forgiveness is available for us, Today, we can be cleansed from sin. We can be made alive by Christ. And so if you feel like Jesus has called you by name and brought you to life, or if you heard of Jesus and reached out by faith and received peace with God, or if you're exploring Jesus and feel him calling you to come and believe him today, we'd love to chat with you and hear your story. But, but before we pray and then conclude and, and, uh, and have some pizza in a minute, we, we've got one more verse, and it's verse 43. I, I didn't miss verse 43. Don't worry. We're, gonna, we're going there right now. And it's here where Jesus strictly charges them that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. And that might seem strange, right? Don't tell anybody. Give her something to eat. End of story. He just moves on. And you're like, what? And Nino, he, he preached last week. We, we saw Jesus command the man that was played with demons to do what? to go to the capitalist and tell everyone about what Jesus had done for him. So why here? Why did he tell this family to be quiet about this matter? Someone has come back from the dead, right? The woman who was clean, like cleansed, she got to share her story with everyone. This family with this little girl, you can't tell anyone. What? You would think we're trying to get a movement out here, Jesus. This is the kind of stuff we need to put on social. Like, this is nuts. But no. See, we must remember that the Jews are expecting a Messiah that's gonna come and liberate them from the Romans. They misunderstand that he's come firstly to liberate them from their greatest enemies of Satan, sin, and death. He has come to stand condemned for their sin. And there will come a time where they're gonna try to take Jesus by force and make him their king. But he'll kind of squash that. For he has come not to set up an earthly kingdom at this moment, but rather to live life in our place and then suffer and die in our place so that our sins might be paid and that we might have the forgiveness for our sins. So for now, there is secrecy. Yet, yet, after Jesus raised us from the dead, one of his disciples writes this down in this book so that we know about it, right? It didn't say secret for forever, right? Jesus tells his disciples to go into all the nations of the world to tell the good news of Jesus to everyone. So don't don't read these words and think that somehow Jesus has called you to a life of secrecy. These are not your life verses, right? Just memorize it. I'm just just called to a life of secrecy, brother. I'm not gonna tell anyone about Jesus. No, this, this is not your life verse. Rather, you should share your life in the gospel of Jesus with those who don't know. Notice one last striking thing about this text. Everyone in this story came to Jesus because someone had shared with them who he was and what he's able to do. Everyone. Jairus came because he heard. The unclean woman came because she 
heard. They all heard about what Jesus was doing. Which brings us to our closing question for us. Who will come to Jesus because they've heard about him from your lips? Who will come to Jesus because they've heard about him from your lips? Let's pray. So Jesus, we're thankful for all that you've given us in and through the good news of Jesus. We, we're thankful that, that we have so much to see about ourselves in this story, that we are like those who, who are unclean and need atonement to be made clean. We're those who are, who are broken down by the things of this world. We suffer underneath the consequences of, of our own sin, but also just the brokenness of injustice of this world. And, and we're walking through it trying to know if you can be trusted. And so we pray that as we, as we come to your word, that we would see that we can, we can trust you, that you're beckoning us to come, that, that you want our hearts, you want, you want our affections for you. You want us to see that, that you can be trusted. And so I pray that as, as we leave this time and, and move into a time of singing as a response to who you are, that we would sing of what you've done for us. I pray that this text, which is meant to point us to Jesus, would point us to worship Jesus, not just see him, but to thank you for what we see in our story, which is even presented in, in, in such a way in this text. We're thankful that Jesus is the hero of this text. We're thankful that you come after people like us, people that are poor, destitute, and have nothing, they're sick. People that have nothing good to bring to the table. We don't... We don't have enough offerings or sacrifices to bring to you to earn our forgiveness or to pay off our debts. And that's why we need you, Jesus. You have come to live the life of perfection that we have been called to live but unable to because of sin. And then you died in our place, taking all of our sin and shame upon yourself so that we can we can now, by grace and through faith, we who were once ashamed can now be bold proclaimers of the good news of Jesus. Oh, I pray that you would use our lives to make Jesus known. And I ask that in Jesus' great name. Amen.